the people who sat in bleakness, those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, they have seen a great light. On them light has shined. Will you take a moment to pause and to breathe into that reading, the people who have sat in bleakness, on them light has shined. Are you sitting in the bleakness? Are you waiting for the light? Do you feel it? Wherever you are in this, take a deep breath to let the Holy Spirit into that. And may we all be inspired in the next step on our journey. So here's my question for today. For the people who sat in bleakness, on them light has shined. But do they know it? Can they handle the light? And as I get at that today, I'd actually like to get at it thinking through the angle of isolation. And I hope I can help you to see why these are connected. What I'm going to do today is to preach to you a sermon that I wish that I had heard before I sat in my own bleakness one time, because I just didn't even know what to do. So I remember the days when I used to visit churches you know, way back before I was a pastor. I was just a hot young thing living in New York City, and, and I had amazing friends, a lot of whom moved up here from yeah, Philadelphia, where we went to college. And so we came here to New York and we had big plans and most of us had jobs before we graduated. And we knew just what was coming because that's the kind of people we were. We were solid achievers. You know, everything had been planned out for us high, through high school and college. Every part of our lives was mapped out for us because that's just how it was, that we, that was what we did. And somewhere between, in the, between the space of my expectations and then my actual lived experience, that we-ness of all that had come up here became harder to live as I kept turning in and in and life wasn't exactly working out the way that I had planned. And like so many New Yorkers at the time, the events of September 11, 2001 and all that came afterwards exacerbated all of this. Are you going to help me preach, Simone? No, I want you to. You're, she's welcome up here, don't you worry. Anyway, it, it exacerbated all of that sense of a weeness, and it became just virtually impossible. It was all me, all bleakness, no joy. And that, that was my first experience of situational depression, though I didn't know it at the time because I didn't have the language for it. It wasn't something that was discussed in my we spaces. And all I knew was this growing shroud that came over me. It was like darkness. And the only thing that was comfortable was to be in the dark shroud of the darkness of my room and the chamber of my room. And the challenge of the path even just the path to go from bed to bathroom or to the kitchen to force myself to eat and wondering why I would even bother. And I think that's something that so many people, first of all, I just want to say that because I know many of you and I know many of your stories and I know that you too have dealt, not all of you, but many with moments of depression. And 
we need to talk about that from the pulpit. We need to normalize it and to help people to understand that there's nothing wrong with us when we go through it. And there is something right with talking about it, acknowledging it, looking at one another and saying, if you're there, I'm with you. But I think that something that many of us forget as we talk about the goodness of the light is just how blinding light can be when we're not ready for it. And we don't always want light. And sometimes, sometimes there's just something that's kind of like hovering over us in this, in my case, it was an illness that was born out of a, a trauma and a sense of disappointment. But that actually made that light painful. And it's from that perspective that I wonder about the light the people who had been in that bleakness saw, the light that the prophet describes and the light that Jesus gave and actually continues to give. Now, this may not be you. It may have never been you. It may not be your story where that light is too blinding. If you don't know what it's like to have way too blinding light, come stand right here after worship. <laughs> There's so much light coming at us this way. But there is something to that. And if that's true for you, if you've never had that blinding light, then I give abundant thanks. But what I will say is that it wasn't true for me either until it was. And if. If someone had warned me, if someone had mentioned the signs and the symbols and the weight, if I'd had any clue ahead of time, I could have avoided so much anguish because I thought it was just me. So I, I offer this reflection today for anyone who is going through that lonely bleakness. And I also offer it to anyone who you know who is because you do know someone who is. Someone you love very much is going through it right now. Someone in this room is going through it right now, more than one. And our children, particularly our teens and our preteens coming out of this pandemic, isolation. I don't know if you've read about this or if you've encountered it in your own families or lives, but these teens are experiencing depression at levels we've never seen. Levels, it is so hard, and the schools have no idea how to deal with it. It's record numbers. So that is the pandemic within the pandemic, and, and we have to acknowledge it. The people who walked in bleakness have seen a great light. So what we know is this. Bleakness breeds isolation. Bleakness is depressive, which thrives on isolation. In the bleakness, in order to receive light, some miracle has to happen. And that light can be unbearable alone. We just can't do it. Isolation breeds a discontent with God's revelation. It makes it impossible to receive. It just feels too much. It can just be too much. And addressing the bleakness requires us to dispel the isolation, to be ready or open to let someone, God, in. And some of us have no idea how. Or we try and it doesn't work. But what if I told you that it doesn't have to be that way? What if I said wherever you are, there is a way to end the loneliness? Because here's the great news, actually, even as we say it in church, good news. No matter who or where you are, 
You are never actually alone. And you don't have to be by yourself. All you have to do, and here's your antidote, your solution. Stop. Take a deep breath. Close your eyes. Breathe again. And right there, that presence, even in the air, in the breath, is your company, your help, your strength, your accompaniment in your time of trial. If you have the resources for it, get the help too. Therapy is helpful. I have my own therapist. Medication is helpful. I take medication. I'm not in a state of depression and haven't been for years. But we can be lifted out of it. There are steps that we can take. But no matter what, even if you don't have the resources for any of that, if, even if you can't find it, even if when you walk into a church you feel all alone, but you still try, even if everything you've done doesn't seem to yield it, if you, there, there, you don't have to have anything to take a, de a deep breath and to reach for the God who is present to you and intends for your healing. And when you remember that wherever you go or wherever you are, so too is your God. And you understand that there really isn't such a thing as isolation because your breath is your God inside. Your prayer reveals your God present to you. It doesn't have to be in some major fall-to-your-knees moment, but those are wonderful. But just in that pause, you have your company. In that breath, in that moment where you say, My God, my Lord and my God, I am alive. And it's because you are with me and because you give me the blessing of your love. And you hold me in your light. And then, then you understand that prayer is literally your friend. Even when the people in our lives fail us, prayer never will. Because prayer makes you aware of the God who was already there with you in the first place. Does that make sense? The people who walked in bleakness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. that mean for you? Prayer is a moment when you're willing to say, God, I'm open to knowing that you're present to me. I'm willing to know that you're there, God. Prayer, it depends on nothing but the allocation of your time. It doesn't depend on another person who also is struggling, or even on an institution that fails itself all the time like church can. No, prayer is reliable and it's yours. Nobody can take it away from you. It is always available to you, no matter where you are. And when you dare to pray, it makes the light more bearable. In fact, that light becomes everything. Because the truth is that you were built for the light. You are indeed in the light. Pray. And you can know that light as your own. And in closing, I am going to leave you with words from Rilke's Sonnet to Orpheus, a 
2, translated by Joanna Macy. And if I were you, I would close my eyes to hear that, but you don't have to. Quiet friend who has come so far. Feel how your breathing makes more space around you. Let this darkness be a bell tower and you the bell. As you ring, what patters you becomes your strength. Move back and forth in the change. What is it like, such intensity of pain, if the drink is bitter? Turn yourself to wine. In this uncontainable night, be the mystery at your crossroads, at the crossroads of your senses. The meaning discovered there. And... If the world has ceased to hear you, say to the silent earth, I flow. To the rushing water, speak, I am. Friend who has come so far, from the bleakness light has shined, you are the bell, you are the vessel, you are the rushing water, child of God, you are. Thanks be to God. Amen.